uh, welcome everybody to the Nothing But Facts. What are we on, 14? 15. Nothing But Facts 15, where we're not interested in anything but facts. If you have an opinion, tell us it's an opinion. Otherwise, facts only. Now listen up. We begin with salah and salam on the Messenger of Allah. Salih. Salat and kamilah wa sallim salam and tamman ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Alladhi tanhallu bihi al-uqad wa tanfariju bihi al-kurab. وتقضى به الحوائج وتنال به الرغائب وحسن الخواتم ويستسقى الغمام بوجه الكريم وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم I'm here today with Suhaib from Colorado Springs You're from Colorado Springs, right? Colorado Springs sounds cool though, right? Especially in the winter time And we are on our Mondays Mondays means the seerah of the Quran which is that the circumstance of revelation, and today we're on Surah Al-Ikhlas. It's very important. Surah Al-Ikhlas. First of all, the rewards of Surah Al-Ikhlas. Listen to this. Many people don't know this. Whoever recites Surah Al-Ikhlas 200 times, Allah erases 50 years of his sins. Tirmidhi. وَمَنْ قَرَأَ سُورَةَ الْإِخْلَاسِ سُورَةَ قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٍ فَكَأَنَّمَا قَرَأَ ثُرُثُ الْقُرْآنِ And they teach kids this all the time. It says if you read one-third of the Qur'an. Why? Because the... The meaning of the Tawheed is a third of the message, right? Well, that's how important it is, the Tawheed. All right, so... You get 10 times the reward for reciting Surah Al-Ikhlas as there are those who believe. I'm reading from Al-Fakhr Al-Razi, the great Mufassir Al-Tafsir Al-Kabir by Al-Fakhr Al-Razi. He said, Jibreel was with the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Then Abu Dhar came, the great Sahabi Abu Dhar. If you don't know about Abu Dhar, he used to be the chief of uh, the, the, the gang, basically, that they used to basically uh, cut off tribes, travelers. They, their, their income was to cut them off and then see what they had. That's what the Ghifar tribe used to do. Uh, some people are born into the life of gangsters, but they're actually really good people. We have one of them. I've, ta- I've talked about him many times. He was born to the homiciders of Philly. Like I've seen his family photos. It's all gangsters, right? Literal gangsters with guns, weed, white beaters, gold, right? Flat brim caps, right? Guns everywhere and gang signs. That was a family he was born into. His mom is the queen, meaning she's the head of the gang. Right. And so he said he stopped going to school at third grade and his mom homeschooled him. I was like, how did your mom homeschool? She's the head of the gang. She's like, yeah, she taught me what an ounce <laughs> looks like. <laughs> and he would be cutting up and measuring. So one thing he knew better than all of us is an ounce and uh, five ounces and grams and all that stuff of powder. OK. And how to package it, where to put it, where to stop it and how the network it's a business. It's just illegal, yeah. right? But he knew that there's a map of Philly. There are certain area that's their territory. And then there are people at certain blocks. And those guys at the block, they rep- they report a back up to his mom. Closer? Okay. Like this? Okay. So facing his mom, okay, uh, they, they all funnels up back to his mom. And it's all mostly family, right? Yeah. Now, they know how much the supply costs. The mom controls the supply. Okay. She knows how much the supply costs. She knows how much product she's given to each guy. Each guy goes and has his own corner. And then 
each kid is an assistant to a guy. If the kid learns, he then becomes, he gets his own corner. If there's a free corner, depending on the real estate. So then he told me, you know, the day that his, his, his uncle was so proud of him, was so happy. He's like, one of the happiest days of my life is when my uncle said, I'm ready to get my own corner. SubhanAllah, like you're, you're, you're so happy the day like you graduate medical school or college, right? And your dad gives you a hug and that warm, fuzzy family feeling. He's born into this. The warm, fuzzy family feeling is that his mom is so proud of him. His uncle's so proud of him. And he said, we were a moral family, right? I said, SubhanAllah, how Allah guided you? He said, because we were moral. How are you a drug dealer and you're moral? He said, no, we never sell to kids or pregnant women. Never. That's just, that was their rules. Everyone's got their own set of rules. And I guess that your piety based, based on your rules, your own, your relative morality. So Allah guided him into Islam. Yes, the sayat of the muqarrabin uh, is hasanat al-abrar sayat al-muqarrabin. So the, the good deeds of one people are the bad deeds of another people. So in his little relative world, little worlds, uh, that's how things roll. That's, that's what goodness is. So he grew up on that, right? And then... Um, uh, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari, Sayyidina Abu Dhar al-Ghifari, he wasn't a drug dealer, but he was, was into what we would call a crime, right? Which is basically cutting people off on the road, stopping the caravan, taking a cut, and then you can go, okay? So that's what Sayyidina Abu Dhar was doing. So Sayyidina Jibreel, alayhi salam, was with the Masjid of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa Okay? فَقَالَ جِبْرِيلَ هَذَا أَبُوْ قَدْ أَقْبَلَ this is Abu Dhar. Over there, there's a shadowy figure walking. He said, that's Abu Dhar. He has come. Okay. فَقَالَ عَلَيْهِ أَوَتَعْرِفُونَهُ Right. Oh, Jibri, you, do you know him? Meaning of, not know him that you know he exists, but you know of him, of, of Abu Dhar. قَالَ هُوَ أَشْهَرُ عِنْدَنَا مِنْهُ عِنْدَكُمْ He's more famous in the heavens than he is here. Like Abu Dhar, a couple people know Abu Dhar, but he's way more famous in the heavens than he is here. Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi said, By what did he attain this wonderful virtue? Because of how small he was in his own two eyes. He didn't view himself as a big deal. He was so humble. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari. He was so humble. And he was always reciting, Qul Allahu Ahad. Surah Al-Ikhlas has all the Tawheed in it that you need. Ahad is different from Wahid in that Ahad it means one in himself. So let's say in this whole room, this is Wahid. There's only one such mug in the entire room, right? But it's not Ahad. It's composed of parts, right? It has a handle. It has paint on it. It has different kinds of paint. And then it has a rim, and then it has a bottom, and it has a stamp on the bottom. So it's not one in itself. Okay, it, it's composed of parts. So the word ahad, is, it means one and composed of parts. Uh, uh, one in itself, not composed of parts. Now the Christians, when I posted a video on this, the Christians went nuts. Guess who became my enemy on, on YouTube? The Greek Christians. It's like, <laughs> what's my business with you, right? And why are you watching my videos? The Greek Christians went berserk. And the Egyptian Christians too. And they said, Ahad does not mean one in himself. I was like, what do you care if it means that or not? <laughs> right? I, I'm thinking to myself, these people, uh, they're saying, no, Ahad. And they went to dictionaries. It does not, it just means one. 
not one in himself. I was like, are you trying to find like the Trinity in the Quran or something? Like, I was like, what's the point? Like, you, we're on, we're on total different religions here. Take your thing and do your thing and leave me alone. So uh, it made no sense for them. You know, it made no sense. It's almost like uh, go, going to football and, and applying basketball rules, right? Yeah. To football, to a football game. It makes no sense. A diverse audience. I don't know why the Greek Christians are watching the Savina Society website. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. more Christians that watch Muslim YouTube channels than Muslims. That, that you might be right. Bring your mic a bit closer. But you, you might be 100% right. I think there are a lot more... Uh, I think there are a lot more Christians watching this stuff uh, than um, uh, than we think. I don't know why, sense. though. Yeah, I don't know why. Like, why would you watch? The, how would you? Like, I'm not on the radar of any Orthodox websites. I don't even know where to go. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so he says because he was, he was humble in himself. Prophet Sallallahu says, "Warawa anas qal." This is again in Fakhr Razi. The sun came up, perfect ring, like the way Laylat al-Qadr is supposed to come out. We've never seen the sun before like this come, come up perfectly, like a perfect ring, right? a circle, no rays around it. That's how it comes in Laylat al-Qadr too, which is really around the corner. That the angels come down. Seventy thousand angels to come down on this morning. Why? To pray Janazah upon a Sahabi whose name was Muawiyah ibn Muawiyah. Okay, so this must be different from Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan because he hadn't died yet at Tabuk. فَهَلْ لَكَ أَن تُصَلِّ عَلَيْهِ ثُمَّ دَرَبَ بِجَنَاحِهِ الْأَرْضِ So he said, O Messenger of Allah, will you also pray on him? And he touched the ground with his wings, Sayyidina Jibreel. فَأَزَالَ الْجِبَالُ وَصَارَ الرَّسُولُ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ كَأَنَّهُ مُشْرِفْ عَلَيْهِ So all the mountains that were in front of them, as if they were gone, and he would see, he saw the body. It's as if the, from a far distance, as if he saw the body. And the Prophet ﷺ said, okay, after the janazah, he prayed janazah upon him from this far distance. So Muawiyah ibn Muawiyah must have died far, long, far away. There was no one to pray on him. So the Prophet ﷺ and all the Sahaba and 70,000 angels prayed upon him. Then Prophet ﷺ said, Bima balagh ma balagh. With what did Muawiyah ibn Muawiyah attain what he attained? Okay. فَقَالَ جِبْرِيلَ he used to love Surah Al-Ikhlas. Because if you understand it, as Murabat al-Hajj used to teach, it moves eight forms of kufr, right? The first part that Allah is, is one, uh, negates obviously polytheism. There's only one power. If you, the second one is that he's one in himself. The third one is he is a summit. Everyone is in need of him. So that negates deism where they say that God created and then he just let everything go, right? Um, Allah's summit also means he is not in need of anything, which we call in theology, al-ghina al-mutlaq, absolute independence. He's not in, and that is the, the basis of so many of the, of the interpretation of the mutashabihat, away from anything that would reflect a need. 
He has no beginning, no end. And that's what negates location because or movement because you cannot or physicality because all of those assume a beginning and an end right you have to have a beginning and an end he's he has no beginning no end he's the first without beginning the last without end if you understand Allah properly this is not just a theological exercise I left academia because of that right your dua will be accepted because you understand Allah properly your dua is going to be accepted right when you do this okay i'm just show, show this phone on silent real quick okay uh, when you understand allah properly dua is the reason for dua to be accepted next he says rawa or waruya sigatuddaf most of these he puts them in sigatuddaf put this phone on silent real quick annahu dakhala almasjid fasami'a rajulan yad'u wa yaqul as'aluka prophet sallallahu entered the masjid and he heard a man said oh allah i ask you as'aluka ya allah ya ahad ya samad ya man lam yalid wa lam yulad wa lam yakul lahu kufuwan he's calling allah by the attributes and names in surah al-ikhlas ya allah ya samad or ya ahad ya samad ya man lam yalid wa lam yulad wa lam yakul lahu kufuwan faqala the prophet announced to all those who could have heard that ghufira laka you have been forgiven. This is the Prophet has a sense of ikhlas and kabul from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he sensed that, that this man was in complete ikhlas. And many times the Prophet would pass by a man making dua and he said, ask because you're being answered right now. Or you've been answered. Or you've been forgiven. And this time when the man asked by يا الله يا أحد يا صمد يا من لم يلد ولم يلد ولم يكن وكف أحد فقال غفر لك غفر لك غفر لك you've been forgiven and he said it three times وعن سهل بن سعد الساعدي جاء رجل إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم came to the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم وشكى إليه الفقر he complained of poverty everyone's complaining of poverty these days I went to a phlebotomist the other day to get blood taken the worst language I've ever heard right she was like, the prices these days. I tell my kids, don't ask me for anything. I can't afford this. Oh, what are we eating today? Well, we're not definitely not eating meat. You eat cereal tonight, right? We can't afford this. You talk like that. That's a curse. Yeah. That's lana when you speak like that. Because that's what's going to... Allah is in the opinion of Hazabd. And Al-Qurtubi says... In your speech and your optimism and your pessimism and your belief that your du'a will be accepted or rejected, right? So, so when this speech comes down on a people, like in Egypt, people talk about it all the time, right? Uh, people talk this like this. That's a sign to me that a curse has descended on the people without them even knowing it. They don't even know it, but that's a curse. I never talk. You should, you should never talk like that, right? It's good because they curse all the time. So that's true. It goes up and then it comes down. 100, 110%. Whenever my kids ask me anything, I said, yeah, we can get it. We got tons of money. Right. We have access to tons of money. Isn't the creator the owner of all the money? I can ask the creator, right? So you have to have this attitude, okay? And then you don't want your kids, if you your kids growing up raising with the words can't afford, can't afford, can't afford, they might become obsessed with money. Yeah. We say, oh, is that expensive? Not for us. It's not expensive for us. If, if we can ask Allah for, for a way to get it, 
except I don't feel like getting it for you right now. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I don't spoil them either, right? Just get everything that you want. No, it's spoil them either. So you you got to find between the two ways. They neither should be spoiled and just get everything that they want. Then they appreciate nothing. Nor should they ever feel that there's a restriction of wealth. There's plenty of wealth to go around to everybody. The restriction is where you're restricting yourself. So he says here, Prophet ﷺ said, uh, now, if you want money, write this down. If you want to be someone who has wealth and you never worry about money, do what the Prophet ﷺ said. If you enter your house, say, As-salamu alaykum. If there's someone there. If there's no one there, say salam to yourself. Because salam is a dua and you can make dua for yourself. So you're talking to yourself. As-salamu alaykum. I'm talking to myself. Okay. Waqra' Qul huwa Allahu ahad marra wahida and recite Qul huwa Allahu ahad one time. I mean, it takes 10 seconds. Okay. Assalamu alaykum. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Qul huwa Allahu ahad. Allahu samad lam yalad wa yalad wa lam yakun lahu kufun ahad. How hard, how difficult, how easy is this? Fafa'ala ar-rajulu fa'adra Allahu alayhi rizqan hatta afad ala jirani. The man started to do it. Because it's not just that you're doing it, it's also you're obeying the Prophet, peace be upon him. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spilled wealth on him until his neighbors became, he passed it on to his neighbors, right? The wealth just spilled into his neighbors. Okay. There was a man, all his salah, he would recite Qul Some people said he would recite a surah and then recite Qul Ahad. Right? The Prophet was asked about this. Or no, sorry. The Prophet asked him about that. I love it. So why are you doing this? Okay. So that just shows that there should be a reason why you do something. Right. You have to make sure you're not making taqlid of the wrong person. Maybe you... What's your reasoning? You always have to have a reason for ibadah. Don't bring your hawa into the ibadah. Yeah, no, no, no hawa. Bring me sunnah. فَقَالَ إِنِّي أُحِبُّهَا So the man answered openly. I love it. I'm doing it because I love it. Did the Prophet approve of this or reject it? فَقَالَ حُبُّكَ إِيَّاهَا يُدْخِلُكَ الْجَنَّةِ Your love for it, يُدْخِلُكَ الْجَنَّةَ Will enter you into paradise. So that was his usul. Why are you reciting that? Because I love it. You go to paradise for that love. That love will enter you into paradise. He says, if you're reciting it in a dream, if you see a dream in which you're reciting Surah Al-Ikhlas, it is said, he will have pure Tawheed. Okay. He, he will not have the pain of dependency. does not mean that he will have few kids because that's not a good thing. But he will have few of, in terms of the pain of dependency, that the difficulty of, of raising kids, etc. And, and spending on them. And much remembrance of Allah. And you will be mustajab ad-da'wah. Okay. He says, Sabab Nuzuliha, the purpose, see, we read all these stories about Surah Al Ikhlas in the time of the Prophet. Now we go to why was it revealed? And Nazalat, okay, 
بسبب سؤال المشركين الضحاك says that the pagans were asking about this and they said إن المشركين أرسلوا عامر بن الطفيل إن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم they sent عامر بن الطفيل to the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and they said عامر بن الطفيل says قالوا شققت عصانا وسببت آلهتنا you have you broken our staff in other words we were a united people you came with this message O Muhammad and everything is out of whack now okay that's what he says we were like one we had a strong grip on things now it's all broken up and you cursed our gods and you went against the religion of our forefathers if you're poor we'll make you rich if you're insane we'll give you we'll heal you we'll find a cure for you if you're in love with a woman okay and you're just trying to be popular so you can love this woman we'll marry her to you and the prophet said okay i'm not poor nor majnoon nor do i love a woman i'm not insane and I, nor do I, am I in love with anybody. And I'm the messenger of Allah. I'm calling you from worshiping idols to worship Allah. Then another time they came. They said, Tell us what is the gender of your God? Or what is the species of your God? All right. Is he made out of gold or silver? Then the surah came down. What is the description of this God? You know that the Romans used to think that the, the Hebrews were atheists. They're the reason why godless people because they don't have a God that they could see. Right? So he said, what is the nature of your God? Then this surah was revealed. So they said, he's one. We have 360 gods, idols, and they can't fulfill all of our, all of our needs. So how is one of them going to fulfill all of our needs? Right. How's one God going to do the, the work, all the work? Okay, of course, Allah doesn't know. There's nothing for him. Uh, so then Allah revealed Surah As-Safat, Inna ilahakum lawahid, verses 1 through 4. Then they sent to him another man. Okay, tell us, what does he do? Okay. Then it says he creates the heavens and the earth. Okay. Athani. So Ikrima ibn Abbas narrates from Ibn Abbas that the Jews came and they asked the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi and with them was Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf. He was a terrible human being. They said, okay, your God created the earth. Who created Allah? Okay. So then Jibreel came down Okay, so the Prophet was so angry at the question, "Who created Allah?" Okay, then Jibril came down and he said, "Don't be so, don't be angry, right?" And he recited, ahad." Okay, so the Prophet then recited it to them, and then the man said, "Siflana Rabbak, describe him." Okay. What is his arm like? Okay. What is his muscle like? Mujassima. Mujassima. It's right here. Look at this. Yahudi. So the Prophet recited. They said, okay, fine. One God not created. 
uncreated God. Then describe him. What's his muscle like? What's his bicep like? What's his arm like? Then the Prophet got more angry than the first time. He came down with Surah Al-An'am. He said, they have not understood Allah the way he should be understood. They should not give Allah his, the rights that he's due. Okay. They recited that Fajr yesterday. They recited that Fajr yesterday? SubhanAllah. And then, Then the Christians came and they ask. All right. Rawa Ata ibn ibn Abbas. The Christians of the South, Yemen, they came up. Okay. They came up, and what did they say? They said, Describe this God of yours. All right. Is he made of pearls or some jewels or gold or silver? He's not composed of anything. Because he's the creator of all things. And then he recited to them, There's none like unto him. Increase us from this description. And they said, What is a samad? The one to whom all creation go for their needs. All creation at all times need him. This is actually very relaxing. There's only one power. So I only have to bother by pleasing one. All my needs will be fulfilled. If there, are, if I, re- if anything really had power out there, I would have to go please this one and please that one and then please the next one. I don't have time to please everybody. And then you pleasing people takes different efforts, right? Maybe they're opposite things. Pleasing one God is one path. Makes my life a lot easier. And then he said, increase us, zidna, increase us. He said, lem yadid. Okay. He, he, he does not give birth. Like, as in, your, your Virgin Mary gave birth, right? Uh, so, as Sayyidina Isa was birthed. So your gods, the Virgin Mary and Prophet Isa, one gives birth, the other's given birth, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the negation of Christianity. And he has no, none like unto him. Okay, So he's wholly other than the creation, outside of time and space, and there's no cause and effect to him and or matter. Okay. Then he says, uh, the names of Surah Al-Ikhlas, In Arabic, a lot of names indicates a lot of virtues. And the Urf indicates that the custom of the Arabs is that. And so it's called Surah Al-Tajreed. Al-Tajreed is to uh, remove things. Okay. To remove things, meaning it's all about removal of false ideas, and that's what we call in aqidah as-sifat as-salbiyah, that negating attributes, the attributes that you have to negate for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَثَانِيَهَا surat At-Tawheed, the surah of Tawheed, and then surat Al-Ikhlas and Sincerity, لَأَنَّهُ لَمْ يَذْكُرْ فِي هَذِهِ السُورَةِ سِوَى صِفَاتُهُ السَّلْبِيَّةِ الَّتِي هِيَ صِفَاتِ الْجَلَالِ the negating attributes. You must believe that Allah does not have these attributes. Okay. And if you uh, believe in that, you are sincere in the deen of Allah. And who dies upon this, it's his khalas or his freedom from the hellfire. 
قبله خلص في ذم أبي لهب فكان جزاء من جزاء من قرأه أن لا يجمع بينه وبين أبي لهب etc. Something about Abu Lahab, basically that it's خلاص from Abu Lahab, right? It's be it's swearing off Abu Lahab, right? Dissociating from Abu Lahab uh, because he had an issue with this. All right, so that is the asbab nazul from Arazi. Let's go to the asbab from Asiyuti. Akhrajat Tirmidhi. Tirmidhi narrates that the people said to the 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 mushrikeen uh, said to the Prophet Sallallahu give us lineage of your God. Okay. And so Surah Al-Ikhlas was recited. Other one said, Ya Muhammad, siflana rabbak. Same, same narrations. Describe your Lord. So he gave them Surah Al-Ikhlas. So it is the greatest description of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala, the, the, the most concise, simplest description of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala in the Qur'an. Uh, Suhaib, any comments? <clears throat> no, I think it. Uh, I think we pretty much covered it. Yeah, that's let's it. Go to the, let's go to the comments. Let's go to the comments and questions. Let's hear it, folks. Okay, we have one. Yes. Uh, he asked. He will make the salam and Surah Ikhlas when he goes in to his house. Is there a dua that he can make for his parents' guidance so who are not Muslim? Uh, the the dua for for your parents hidayah should be come into hajjud. Don't miss hajjud. There, the the answer to everything is to hajjud. That's how that's how powerful it is. All right, let's see. We got questions here from the stream. What are your thoughts on Valentine's Day? Waste of time. <laughs> Waste. Uh, I don't even think about it to be quite honest with you. Like if someone, let's say. It happened. My wife gave me a cupcake. Well, I'll give her a cupcake too. All right, <laughs> but it's not something that I uh, take it as it's. I don't know if it has a pagan origin. I don't. I don't think twice about these things, right? I don't think it, does it have pagan origin. Us? Uh, no, it's like Saint Valentine. Saint Valentine or whatever. I started with pagans, and then you know the Christians they always take over the pagan holidays. Yeah, the Christians take over the pagan holidays, but we've never celebrated it in the sense of I've never. Eid al Hub. Well, the Egyptians, you can't trust them in anything. They they want to do everything that the 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 Europeans do. But we've never done anything like my family. We never do that nonsense type of thing. Nor nor do I think about like talking about like it being bad either. Just nonsense. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Look, you know, Halloween is actually something that is a totally religious holiday yeah. and i've heard both stories that it's a purely christian holiday on wikipedia it says that and that it's the opposite mm. it's like the christians had a day and then some kind of other group came in so that um we don't do uh, we don't do that stuff when i was young we didn't know anything about, about it we did halloween yeah. right we always did halloween. I had a great time doing halloween yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> right but once we learned that it's something that's from another religion and now we have a lot of muslims so you have to have a policy back then you're like one muslim in the whole school Prissy, i didn't even know i was muslim i'm not even kidding you i remember being in third grade and have to fill out a thing about what's your family like who are you what's your religion right because they're allowed to ask those questions back in the day i had to ask my dad and going to soccer practice i remember very clearly i was in third grade and i remember i had this assignment so said, oh, by the way what's our religion he said Muslim, so I put that Muslim, right? It, uh, but, but we learned, right? Uh, it, 
Isaac Shire says, Ishaq Shire, what's the wisdom behind multiple madhahib? Why isn't there only one? The wisdom is that those different conclusions will suit different circumstances. So there's flexibility in the law. The, the doctrine is like a stiff trunk. It is immovable, the aqidah. But the branches, the big branches are the usul, and then the little branches are the results. You need flexibility. If a tree could not move, that thing would snap, right? But because the top of the tree could sway a little bit, right? The bottom of the tree is firm, right? And that's our religion. The doctrine is firm, is not moving. But the rules, there is some flex. There's not too much flexibility either, right? To the point that it's meaningless. No, there is flexibility. When the wind blows, yeah, when there's a hardship and you can't do something, you can borrow from another method, right? Next question, Ryan, you're up. Someone asked, what's the ruling on the person who doesn't pray five times a day out of laziness, carelessness, and things like that? Uh, he is a fasiq, unfortunately. He's a fasiq. Yes, and we should make dua for him. And he really needs to hang out with people uh, who, uh, who pray. That's the solution. You don't, even, you don't even have to talk to him. You don't even talk to him. Either one of two things is going to happen. He's going to get very sick, have a car accident, fall in love, get fired, and he'll start praying. Okay. Or he just hang out with people who pray. And then when they pray, he'll pray. And then it, it'll grow on him. That works. I, I'd say yeah. from uh, one of my friends in Africa, in Benin, uh, uh, it was like one Christian from, you know, it's like divided north and south, you know, where you find the Christians versus the Muslims. Well, I think one from one side had, had went to the other, mm -hmm. hanging out with all the Muslims. And there it's like, you know, you hear the other and everybody goes to pray, whatever. And so he's with the group of guys. They always go to the mosque to pray because that's the normal thing to do. So over time, yeah, years he's hanging out with these guys. <laughs> uh, after they disperse, they grow up, they move other places. Once they get back to the place, they find every single one of their Christian friends eventually became Muslim. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> It's, it's by like, osmosis. It's like, they're like, we can't just sit here while you guys are going over there. So. Our, our dean is sticky. Yeah, There's yeah. always something to do, right? You go back to those other deans, it's boring. Yeah. It's nothing to do, right? So, um, Imsecure asks a question about Al-Gin. I don't answer the question about the gin. I don't want them around me. I don't want to talk about them. I did talk about them once, that nice story, because it was in related to so I have no clue how to solve the problems of the jinn. Okay. But do the awrad of the morning and the evening. Safinasadi.org backslash lowercase wird. The W's got to be lowercase wird. That is going to help you avoid the problems of the shayateen and the hasad and all that stuff. Even from shayateen ends. Yafa says, I have been reading the opening of the heaters. And there is part I'm trying to understand where it mentions a river or Nile, then the name Kothar, tell me what the Kothar means, please. The Prophet said, the Nile and the Euphrates, they are rivers that are on the earth, but their spiritual origin is in the heavens. And the Kothar is the fountain of the Prophet It is a fountain in front of heaven from which all the waters of the heavens run all the rivers of paradise it's the source of all the rivers of paradise and that kothar has been given to the prophet as a gift and kothar is also people say 
it is the nickname of Sayyidah Fatima. Because when the Quraysh, they made fun of the Prophet and said, you have no sons. Every time you have a son, he dies. You know, like the, your worst enemy, you wouldn't laugh if his son died. Right? You might even send him a message like, we're enemies, but at this, there's a human decency there. They went and they started laughing and said, he's Abtar. Abu Lahab saying the messenger is Abtar. He has no lineage. So Allah consoled the Prophet ﷺ by revealing to him, Verily, we have given you Al-Kawthar. So Al-Kawthar is the fountain of paradise. But if you think about it, what does the fountain of paradise have to do with kids? So the Mufassirin said, it is the Kawthar, the fountain of the Prophet, but it's also Sayyidah Fatima, because from her, he's going to have the biggest lineage. And it is true, Ahl al-Bayt is the biggest documented lineage in the world. Hassani and Hussein al-Bayt and so al-Kawthar refers to that Sayyidah Fatima that's when people name Kawthar what they mean is Fatima Zahra that's that's what the meanings alright Ryan you're up someone asked what does it mean to see Allah's face in the afterlife and have the secrets or the mysteries uh, of Allah understand the mysteries of Allah oh, no, that's going to mean that you have something the greatest reward in paradise may Allah grant it all to all of us and it's a seeing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without physicality or direction, uh, as the Imams have said. Uh, and that is the, the height of Jannat al Firdaus. May Allah give it to us. And some people have said, those in the first level of paradise, they see Allah every Jummah. Those in the second level, they see Allah two times a week, three times a week, four times a week, until those who are of the highest level, they have the ru'ya of Allah every single day. And this is the height, and the height, the complete height of paradise. May Allah Ta'ala grant that to all of us. Next. Someone referenced uh, Ortugal, the show. And they said Ibn Arabi is in it. They asked, what is the opinion about Ibn Arabi? There's two sides. Some people takfir him. Other people praise him. All we say is what the Habayb say about Ibn Arabi. We have a good opinion of him. We don't know about the the uh, the soundness of his books. In other words, who added, who decreased, was the transmission proper? And we don't read his books. We have a good opinion of him, but we don't read his books. And because you don't know what's from it is sound and what's added into it and what in which he was in a state, Allah Alam. Some people can be in a certain state in which their words are not taken. So Allah knows best about that. But we do say, I just say what the Ba'adawi say about him. The Ba'adawi are a group of scholars in Yemen. They're great scholars. And we consider them from the Uriya too. Because so many of them are so righteous. And their conclusion is, we have a good opinion of him, but we don't read his books. Yeah. Next. Can you recite uh, the Quls and Surah Fatiha like on food and like blow it on yourself and all these things? Can you recite the surahs like these on food and blow it? I heard, I have heard, but I haven't uh, gotten to the, uh, gotten the sources of those. But yes, I did hear that Ruqya, one of the methods of Ruqya is reciting and blowing. Yeah, that you do, you will find that in the book. So Ruqya is, com is a combination of dhikr and dua. On top of that, it's touching, rubbing, or blowing. So yes, the answer is I have seen something like that, but I can't tell you exactly about the blowing if it's come from the sunnah or not. Uh, but ruqya essentially is dhikr and dua combined with some other form of touching or blowing. For example, the ruqya of the companion um, 
uh, uh, subhanallah, um, the companion, his name is skipping my mind right now. Uh, his name is skipping my mind. But he did a ruqya on a, on a non-Muslim man, a pagan man, by, uh, I think it's Abu Sa'id. I can't remember. He, the man had was bitten by a scorpion. So these Sahaba were traveling. It started getting dark and windy. So they went to this tribe and they said, can you uh, host us for the night? You know, like dinner and a place to sleep? They said, no, we don't want to deal with Muslims. <laughs> so they said, okay. So they left. A few minutes later, they came running. They said, please, our chief has been uh, uh, stung by a scorpion. So, and we heard that you Muslims know how to do ruqya very well. So he said, okay. So he went and he took his, his leg and he recited Al-Fatiha, and then he would spit the saliva from the recitation. He would spit it into the man's wound until he was cured. And then he was cured, and he said, okay, how can I thank you? He said, now it's going to cost you, right? We're going to spend the night here. We're going to eat, and you give us a whole bunch of sheep, right? They went, and they sold the prophets. I said that this happened, and the prophet was very pleased, and he accepted it, right? And he said, how did you know that Fatiha was a ruqya? How do you know that you could use Fatiha for a ruqya? And, the pro and he said, it just entered my heart that Fatiha must be a cure. So uh, that's one of the examples how Ruqya, it's with spit, with breath, with hand, uh, combined with dhikr and dua. Uh, Naila says, when the Prophet Sallallahu and Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq were in the grave, people of Tariqah say secrets were revealed by the Prophet to Abu Bakr. Allahu alam, but all I can tell you is that there's not a Sahabi who had a more intimate time with the Prophet than Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq in the in the cave with the Prophet. It's not just that they were alone. They were alone in an intense situation which they needed to rely upon Allah. All the attention was heightened up because people are chasing you. Sayyidina Abu Bakr did not put his life on the line for a battle only, as many other Sahaba did. He put his life on the line for two weeks straight. That's a big difference than putting your life on the line for an afternoon along with 500 other people who are putting their life on the line. Or one mission, as some Sahaba went on one mission. Sayyidina Abu Bakr put his life on the line for two weeks straight. He must have received no doubt from the gifts that Allah gives his awliya that we cannot imagine. There's no doubt about that. M. Hassan Mazhar says, as Allah loves the actions that are consistent, how can one gain discipline in performing many actions daily? You should only do one action at a time until you become an expert at that action. And that part is, is part of your life that you do it in a sense um, so continuously that you can't imagine living without it before you add a second one. So one of the pitfalls in Islam is that in the nawafil is that people try to take on a lot of nawafil at a time. And you're juggling and you're failing at juggling. You can't juggle four balls if you don't know how to juggle two. So juggle two balls and be satisfied with that. Later on, juggle three balls. Later on, juggle four balls. Right? But you, it has to be so second nature. And usually to me, I think it takes two years for something to be so second nature. You'll hear it says 21 days to make a habit. I would say, yeah, maybe. But... If you do something for two years, that's part of your life now. I don't think it'll ever leave, right? And I hate a thing to do a thing and then to leave it off. If you do a thing, just don't 
don't leave it off for life. Let's take one more from here. Esma says, how on raising teen boys when father isn't always around, how to get them to learn to be men, send them to the masjid, tell them go hang out with the guys there. And I'm telling you, this is not a joke. Have them volunteer at the masjid. Those men will fulfill a lot, not all, but a lot of what the father is not fulfilling. And I'll tell you a story about England. Well, I was in the uh, London Central Mosque in England, it, Regent's Park. It's a gorgeous park right smack in the middle of London. So London is concentric circles, right? It's an oval and a bigger oval and a bigger oval. Zone one is the city, okay? And then zone two is like little shops and some homes. Zone three, more homes. Zone four is like the quiet, big, bigger homes. Right at the top edge of zone one is something called Regent's Park. It's a park. It's a, one of the most gorgeous parks you've ever seen. It's really big. It's almost like our version, New York's version of Central Park. Not as big. Sunday, it's filled with people playing soccer, taking walks, etc. So the queen, she donated a big section of that park to the Muslims. And the different uh, countries, Islamic countries, they pitched in to build this gorgeous masjid. And the side window, the side of it is all glass and looks at the Regent's Park. So you go there, and by going there so often, you get used to the staff. You start to know the staff. You start, you know the imams. And there's a, 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 a restaurant downstairs. There's a bookstore. There's a library. So I get there. I used to go there as, as a PhD student. My hours were a bit different. So I used to go during the daytime. And I see these, these two boys and a Moroccan woman dropping off her two boys. These two boys were the most rotten, most miserable, most need to beat down boys you've ever seen. And I inquired what's going on. She basically, the workers were all Moroccan Algerian, North Africans. She said to them, please use my kids. I don't know what to do with them. They're driving me nuts, right? Just use them. So they would go in with the rotten attitudes and these older Moroccan and Algerian men who worked there, they would say, all right, you go mop up that room. You go do this. You go get me that. Then they would sit and they'd have lunch together. So the kids were spending basically five, six, seven hours a day. She pulled, this woman to me, is, she was amazing. She took action. These kids were getting so bad. She literally pulled them out of school. I don't know the laws over there, but she pulled them out of school for a year and said, my solution will be dropping at the masjid. Dropping uh, at the masjid when she wakes up, I guess she goes to work. On the way back from work, she picks them up again. And they would spend the entire day in the masjid. I'm telling you, that year happened in Ramadan. They were men. They were, I saw them working in Ramadan. The iftars were there, insane iftars. The amount of people that they used to feed. These kids were doing so much work, screaming, yelling, go here, boom, boom, boom. Right? They were men. Um, they transformed. So I realized, subhanAllah, this lady, I didn't know what she was doing in the beginning. I was just insane. Just dropping the kids off. It worked. By work, they're being part of the masjid staff, just as volunteers, and they were just do this job, do that job. They became upright men. Firstly, the prayer and the wudu, you have to pray in if you're in the masjid. You can't. And then for how long are you going to pray in the masjid but not pray at home? Yeah. It's not going to work. Your mind won't let it happen. And then they just became adults. Eventually, I'm sure, at some point, their a familiarity grew between them and those those workers, and they snapped at them for 
bad manners or something. I'm sure that happened at some point, right? And then when you're serving others and you're mingling with others, you grow up, right? You grow up. So I think that's that would be uh, some advice, I would say. Uh, for somebody who doesn't have men, be around the other Muslim men that are pious, that are going to serve in the masjid or that are in work in the masjid. They'll grow up a lot very quickly. Uh, JJ says, can we advertise something new and secondhand to sell if we have not bought it yet or even we bought it but not in our possession? Uh, no, the Madahib say that you actually have to have it in your possession first. But I do believe there is an exception if acquiring it into your possession is something so predictable, right? I think that there is a fatwa for that. Okay, we'll have to ask uh, about that, especially the ahnaf, that if it's so predictable that it's going to, that, that you could easily buy it, then I think that that's an exception and Allah knows best. But usually you do actually have to possess it first. All right, Ryan, what you got? Yeah, that's a good question. Let's hear it. Um, can you recite Surah Al-Ikhlas in every single prayer, or is it better to rotate it out here and there? You recite Surah Al-Ikhlas how you like it, how you like to recite it, and how you love it. If Taha Abdul Basir is watching, can he please put in the comments about that question on the possession? Is there actually a fatwa saying that if it's uh, predictable, like the, the, the urf is that, and the, and the mu'tad in the matter is that you can easily acquire the item. Can you sell it before the acquisition? Allah, Allah knows best about that, but we'll get the fatwa for that. The, the, the ruling for sure is possession must is, is a condition for sale. So by fatwa, though, in the modern times, for example, drop shipping, where you order something, then they print it. Like it's very predictable. So there is a fatwa, I think, for that. Hey, Az. Could you uh, get that Wi-Fi enhancer and see if you could fi fix it for us and make it work for us? Yeah, we have the Wi-Fi enhancer. All right, next question. What you got? Somebody's been waking up in the middle of the night due to climax of fluid, but no wet dreams. Is he affected by black magic? No, my brothers and sisters, not everything is a black magic, to be honest with you. That's just... Um, Allah uh, Alam what it is but it's not necessarily a black magic. my teacher recently told me a story that in the Egyptian countryside a woman called the sheikh for black magic a family, a whole family they said our daughter-in-law is affected go cure her he said okay what's the story they, she would scream upstairs, they would all come running in the room, she'd be gone they would look all over the house. They can't find her. Ten minutes later, she screams again, and she's on the bed. I said, what's going on? She said, you have to listen to this story to the end. She said, oh, Sheikh, uh, there's a jinn. He takes me. He loves me. He takes me under the ground to the palace of the jinn, and he's a prince. And he wants to marry me. But his mom says, how dare you marry an ince? We're not marrying a human. Send her back. So he's, he brings me back. The, the gin doctor, he's actual real gin doctor. He says, girl, stop lying. <laughs> okay. There is no such thing as a human being going underground. How are you breathing? Right? <laughs> right? He says, I've been around the block and I know you're lying. What's the real story? She says, Sheikh, the real story is that I'm married and we live in my father-in-law's house. I have no privacy. I want to be with my husband alone. I want to have my own kitchen. 
So I'm making this story up, right? I want you to tell them that the only cure to this gin story, to this gin, is for me to move out. He, he says, okay, I sympathize with you, right? You've told me the truth. I'll do some recitations. You do some screaming, right? <laughs> and I will tell them there's no only one solution is that because he believed her, right? He sympathized with her. She made up a stuff. So he said, but first you have to tell me where are you disappearing to? He said, oh, I'm just going to the laundry basket. <laughs> okay. And no one thinks to look in the laundry basket for an adult, right? You don't think to find an adult is going to be hiding in the laundry basket. And she says, I'm in the underworld with the jinn and these poor people who are miskeen, they don't know any better. They believed it. The point of my sheikh was saying is that there's a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with the jinn, right? JJ says, thanks. Is it true in the end of times, children will be more close to their friends rather than their fathers? Allah Adam, if that's the case, but it's definitely an observable fact. I think it's maybe have been an observable fact even before our times that people are closer to who they want to be with. You ever see people say, oh, I need to go spend more time with my kids, right? Every time someone retires or gets fired, it's, uh, I want to go spend time with my kids. Who says your kids want to spend time with you, right? <laughs> kids want to spend time with people their own age, right? But uh, it is also a saying that the children will be like fire in the homes, storms in the homes. They will cause a lot of fitna. And I think that if you keep, if you spend a lot of time with them and let them spend a lot of time with adults, okay, uh, and with mixed age groups, they adjust a lot better and they're accustomed to dealing with, uh, they, they have a better sense of the world. All right, Ryan, go, and then we're going to go to Megalon and Khalud. Okay. Khalud, yes. We have Kariyawaz. Okay. Says, what do I do about fasting? I've missed in the past due to valid reasons, like over four years or so, and they've never been made up before the coming Ramadan. Okay, so uh, you will owe for each one of them to make up one day of fast plus one mud, which is a handful of food, to a poor Muslim. You can write that in one big check, which is going to be 200. What did she say? Four times 30 is 120 days. Let's say 125, just to make sure. Times 10, right? 125 times 10, $1,250. So put it as a payment plan to the masjid and put on it that it has to go to a poor Muslim that is uh, fidya. Because if... If you, if you don't make up your fast for one year or more, then you owe the day and you owe fidya to feed one poor Muslim. So you could do a payment plan, 1250 that rounds basically at 100 and some dollars a month for a year. It's not the end of the world. You pay more for, for, for other things, right? For furniture and cars and stuff. And then you, you have 200, you have, uh, what do we say? 120 days to make up. Mashallah, you're going to be skinny at the end of this, right? <laughs> hundred, maybe she's already, I don't know if it's a guy or a girl, but uh, 120 days of fasting, you're going to fast. If you fast every Monday, it's not the end of the world, right? It's pretty easy. You're going to get into, into the routine. You do this for three years, right? Two, two years less than that. Two years and a little bit less and a little bit more. You'll be done with your, 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 your days, Okay. Obviously, Ramadan is going to come, so you can't do kafa, uh, make a qada in Ramadan. So if you fast every single Monday, okay, 
and then you have a payment plan to the masjid and you have to write, you can't put sadaqah, you have to write what it's for, that it's fidya, so that they feed a poor Muslim instead of paying the electricity bill or doing something else with it. Uh, Khulud says, my question is for women, is it recommended to pray at home when she can still visit masjid for prayers like tarawih during Ramadan? Is the reward the same? Can you elaborate on the hadith of... And then her question got cut off, but I'm sure that she means the hadith of the women praying in the home is more superior. And that is the dominant opinion. And that the, it is a dominant opinion that the prayer of the woman in her home is better. But we also don't say that it's haram for a woman or makru for her to pray in the masjid. And we have, I think by common sense, there are so many benefits of salah in the masjid. Uh, you learn. Uh, you can attend classes, so you can meet people, right? Like, where does a Muslim person meet other people? Like in our masjid, like we, you, as you all see, we have hivs from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, hivs academy. Okay, the moms they have a hangout from from Maghrib Tasha, right? It's it, it does fulfill a social thing there, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. Where are you going to make friends? And are you really focusing at praying home by yourself? Here I am as an adult male, right? And if you had charged me with praying tarawih every night by myself at home, I might have difficulty. It's not easy. You need the support. So with all those, I've heard many of the scholars of today, they do have said that, you know, it is a great benefit, right? And there's not much harm. So the illa that women should not have gone to the masjid is that there was harm. She could be accosted. You don't know who's in the street. We just had war and we have prisoners of war here, right? Back in the day. Today, it's not the case. So uh, if there's no fitna, if there's no mingling around and you're just there for benefit, then then khair. But yes, the, the dominant opinion of the four madhabs is that the prayer of the woman in her home is better. We cannot change the four madhab. And, but we'll, we can add some of what some of the muftis said. Mufti being someone who gives an exception to the dominant rule. Khulud says, the other part of the question, can you elaborate on the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ? Do not prevent female servants from going to the mosque. That's exactly it. That's exactly the basis of that statement that because they might find other benefits, right? Okay, there are white, uh, JJ says, after waking up, there are white marks on clothes. Do I have to do ghusl? Where are the white marks? If it is where that it could be a wet dream, then the answer is yes. You should make ghusl for that. Because that may be, if it is abundant to the amount that semen would be abundant, then you consider yourself have had a wet dream. So you have to wash that part with water or discard it completely and make a ghusl by washing your private parts first, front and back, and then washing yourself from head to toe, including get to your scalp. And that's with the intention of tahara. Uh, Megalon's question, I actually lost it here. Um, so could you post it again, Megalon? All right, Ryan, what you got? We're told not to say oof to our parents, but are we sinful then if we try to convince them of something they don't want to hear at all, especially something that isn't haram, like intercultural marriages? Um, it's not just, the, the question was, we can't say oof to our parents, but can we argue with them about something that we want to do that's not haram? like an intercultural marriage. Uh, it's not just about if it's haram. The question is you have to ask, is it going to work, right? Is arguing going to get the job done? 
is arguing going to make you blessed? So it might just not even work, right? And so um, it also depends if it's a man or woman. Now, I don't want to incite any men against their parents, but truth is that marriage for a man is no different than eating and drinking. The parents can't stop it. That's the truth of the matter. But culturally speaking, if your mom gets so upset, that is also not good with you in the heavens. If your mom is just like so upset at you, it's not going to work. So uh, you can have discussions, you can pester, and you can be persistent with manners, and maybe that'll get you a result. It's possible. It is very possible. If you pester and you keep asking, but you're really polite at the same time, and you do other things to, to win points with your family, like you take the garbage out without anyone asking, right? You go pick up the eggs when you see that there's no, you saw that there's no eggs, and you have a car, and you have feet, and you have a wallet. And you just see that there's no eggs and you didn't get the eggs. Like, what kind of person is this? Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Time to the empty box back. Bro, you have two feet. You have a car. You go places. And you see that the eggs that you eat every morning, 75% of these eggs, is empty. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's why people say no to you. You're not worth anyone to listen to you. Right? So you have to get that stuff together. Right. And then maybe you have some clout in the discussion. You want to go and marry and be some kind of Prince Charming and and do all this. But you don't even buy the eggs in the house. <laughs> Why would I listen to you? Right. All right. Next. Megalon says, what advice do you give to those who have to go on interviews where handshaking with a woman is expected? You can maybe sneeze. <laughs> you can say, oh, I don't know about your COVID precautions and use that as an example and, and, and try your best to follow what is the dominant opinion in the four schools that it should not be done. Next question. Is Fidya a must for someone who cannot fast due to illness in Maliki Fiqh? Is Fidya a must for somebody who does, cannot fast due to illness in Maliki Fiqh? And the answer is yes. They pay Fidya for every day that they can't cannot fast. Likewise, the elderly who cannot fast. Um, the pregnant woman must make up her days. The woman who does not, or the man, who does not fast because of someone else's safety. In the Sharia, there is a recognition that other people's safety may be in your, in your uh, uh, responsibility. Like what? The baby who's being breastfed. Or a surgeon. Right? A surgeon. If the surgery is like nine hours and you truly need to eat, what is the ruling for that? The ruling is you must begin your day fasting. You must begin your day fasting. Only when you reach to the point that the person in front of you, your responsibility may suffer because you, you're getting lightheaded. Then you may break the fast, but you must make up one day plus a fidya. Why plus a fidya? Because you're not breaking your fast for yourself. You're breaking your fast for somebody else. As a result of that, you owe a fidya. So that's the difference. All right. Cultural lifestyle. What if you love a man who is already married? In that case, when love is involved, do a lot of ibadah and do a lot of recitation of Quran and make a lot of salah on the Prophet. This really, really cures the heart. It truly cures the heart. And always remember, you never love. A person per se, you love qualities about them. So I love a man. Who is that man? Let's say he's, it's because he's very handsome and he's very pious and he's very rich. 
right? Well, pretty much there's nothing else, right? <laughs> Though he has these, so those are the qualities you love. You, he, Allah has someone else like that with those qualities that's not that person. You have to know that in your head. And you ask Allah, oh Allah, give me the person with that quality. That's it. It's a simple thing. You have a creator and you can ask him. Uh, Ryan, let's go to you. Is celebrating birthdays haram? Uh, I say what Habib Omar says about it. He says, neither haram nor recommended. But what happens in it may be excessive spending, waste of time. It could be uh, uh, sort of jamming people, ihraj, takalluf on people, which means that they're expected to go buy you a gift, blah, blah, blah. It's takalluf, right? You burden some on people. And it could have in it happiness and sadaqah and good things being said and making someone smile. So you get the reward for what's good in it. You get sins or discouragement for what's bad in it. But in itself, it is neither a sunnah, of course, of our religion, not part of our religion, nor is it something forbidden by our religion. It's in the middle. It depends on this. All celebration is based upon what happens in it and its its purpose, the matter being celebrated. Next, Ryan. What to do when the white marks are not like semen, but just white marks and had a desireful dream? If the white marks are not the amount that would be semen. So they're very small white marks. We would say that's probably what we call medhi, which is pre-seminal fluid. You must wash it off and make wudu. Asma Lazim says, does a son have a duty towards his mom if she is narcissistic? The answer is yes, to the point that it does not take from what is other people's rights. For example, your mom cannot say, I don't want you, I want you to skip work today. She cannot say, leave your wife, abandon her and come serve me. You serve her without abandoning your wife. Oh, come help me move and working and you try to help her move. So other people have rights over you. She does not have the right to take other people's rights away from you. But she does have the right to ask you questions. And ask you for help, right? That's it. Okay. Titi Ansari says, can having misfasts and zakah from younger days cause financial problems in your life? Allah, I don't think that there's a connection to that, but there is a general connection of sins and poverty. The Prophet said, sins decrease your risk. So it is a sin if you have fasts and you're ignoring them. So you make up your fasts. All right, Ryan, what you got? Is it permissible to celebrate or attend the weddings of the kufar? You can attend a wedding of a non-Muslim. Nothing wrong with that. But the question is, what's happening? And by the way, what kind of wedding? Is it the wedding that the Sharia rec marriage that the Sharia recognizes? Because Sharia recognizes a marriage. Let's say two Christian married husband and wife. They enter Islam. Two Hindus. They married in the Hindu culture, and they entered Islam. Sharia recognizes that they're married. All they have to do is fix the things. Let's say there wasn't a dowry. They have to add a dowry. Let's say there was a clause in the contract that was invalid and haram. They have to remove that. But Sharia recognizes that marriage. But if it's a, a marriage that is not recognized, such as a same-sex marriage, Sharia would not recognize it. Then you can't go to that. Naz says, will Hajj cancel outstanding fast? The answer is no. Hajj does cancels your sins between you and Allah. And you and others, but it does not cancel the rights owed to other people. Hajj, salah, missed prayers, missed fast, missed zakah is a right owed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And let's say you have a debt to other people. All those 
the hedge does not cancel them out. You still owe them. Let's take a couple more questions before you wrap up. We recently got a dog due to fear of thieves. What is the Hanafi ruling for washing when Nedges gets on the hand or clothing? We recently got a dog for fear of thieves. What's the ruling on the um, the Najasa? So uh, the dog should not be roaming around the house because the Prophet ﷺ, he spoke about not having dogs in the house. Now, I know a lot of people like to put on the Madiki Madhab or they like to be Western and it's okay to have a dog, blah, blah, blah. Y you do what you want. I don't control people. I'm just telling, and I do what I want too, which includes reading the fatwa, right? <laughs> okay. So, he books at the end of his book, he says, from the words of the prophet, we glean prohibition from keeping the dog as a pet in the house. So you have to give him, let's say we have thieves, put the dog in a special spot in the house. You love him so much, right? Give him a room. <laughs> that room leads to outside. That's the dog's room. He doesn't go around in the house, roaming around the house. That's if, if you're going to have it, that's the way to have it. Then I guess you're going to have to become Maticis because we don't consider dogs alive in Nedges. Dog saliva is not nedges, right? There's no evidence that dog saliva is nedges. There's evidence that dog saliva is not healthy for you to consume. That's why the Prophet said, if your dog licks your bowl, wash your bowl seven times and once with dirt, meaning seven times, once with something rough to get that stuff out of there, right? You don't pray with a, your bowl, right? You also, if it's nedges, one washing is enough. So it's out of health consciousness that the prophet said, clean out your bowls because the dog licks the bowl. So we don't think it's not just, so your solution is put the dog in one space. That door is to be closed. He doesn't go around roaming the kid's room, upstairs, downstairs, right? Kitchen. No, not because of Najasa, but because the prophet forbade that. In all four methods. And you have the dog for thieves for that purpose. And then you become a medic after that. At least on this <laughs> on this question, you become a medic. On this mess, Allah, you become a medic. Can you please repeat? Uh, okay. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. My dad's not a Muslim. Can I take his inheritance? I have a fatwa and brother Yassin. He's a Swiss brother. He's a medic, uh, coming up and coming scholar, actually. And he's told us that the fatwa that he took from that is that you take it not as inheritance, but that wealth is always better in the hands of the believer. So you take it on that account. Next, one more question, Ryan, up to you. This is the final question? Final question. Okay. Um, what do you do? Do we have two, go two more questions? Two more questions, fine. Okay, first one, what if one doesn't know how many fasts they've missed? What if somebody doesn't know how many fasts they've missed in the same as zakah that's missed or salah that's missed, that what you're going to do is overestimate. So where you, you have to pick the number where you would say definitely, without a doubt, 110%, the fast that I've missed would be under that. And then you do that number. Okay. And the other question is, what if you're like an irritable, quickly tempered person, and you also are very melancholy? And it's hard to balance when you're making a decision, how you make those decisions. <coughs> if you're somebody that's <coughs> quickly irritated and quickly saddened, right? Melancholy. They're always a bit sad and they're either, they're very irritable. I would highly, highly suggest that you don't say that you are that way. You say 
that at this moment you you succumb to these these moods. You, there's nobody who is a certain way. Yes, we may have tendencies. You can transform yourself, right? You can transform yourself by remembering Allah, by doing a lot of salah on the Prophet wasallam, and just by sheer willpower, right? Don't look for just some quick magic potion. There's human willpower. Whatever happened to human willpower, right? You ever see someone like, uh, I want a quick fix. But sometimes we treat adhkar like that. As, of course, we do adhkar, but we also have willpower, right? There is adhkar, but adhkar without willpower, it's like buying medicine but not taking it. You have to actually, it's like buying uh, some kind of diet or, 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 or protein shake, but you don't lift, <laughs> right? You buy the protein shake, but you don't lift. So you have to use your willpower and just say, stop. Stop being sad because other people, you're affecting other people now. Stop being sad because... Say alhamdulillah, there's, your life is great in comparison to other people. Like I told people in class, I want to create the Say Alhamdulillah Instagram page yeah. and just put the stories and pictures of miserable people on it. So everyone just says alhamdulillah. It's, that's what it's going to be called. Say Alhamdulillah Instagram account, right? Realize that your life is great. Greatness is nothing other than relative to other people. So you have to force yourself, brute force change of mood. And you change your mood by the words that you utter and the thoughts that you think and the things that you look at. So I could, I can make, you can manipulate your mood. Okay. So that's going to help you a lot. And I think that that's, uh, uh, and now if, if you're not a good decision maker, decision making is very simple. You ask people who know, ask two, three people who are good at the subject that you're, you're doing, buying a car, buying a home, applying to colleges, ask someone who knows talk with them don't just go make the decision on your own all right jazakum allah khairan subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik alhamdulillah rabbil alamin allahumma salli wa barik ala sayidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam taslima allahumma ij'alna fi ridaka da'iman abada allahumma ahyina wa amitna ala ridaka wa ma yasurru qalbar rasul wallahu wa rasuluhu ahqqu an yurdu in kanu mu'minin nas'alullaha an yaghfira lana wa yatuba alayna wa yusamihana ويتجاوز عن سيئاتنا اللهم إن كان رزقنا في السماء فأنزل وكان في الأرض فأخرج وكان بعيد فقرب وإن كان معصرا فيسر وإن كان موقوفا فأجري وإن كان قليلا فكثر وإن كان معدوما فأوجد وإن كان سيئة فمحها وإن كانت خطيئة فتجاوز عنها وإن كان سيئة فمحها وبارك وإن كان عثرة فأقلها وبارك لنا في جميع ذلك كله إنك مليك مقتدر وما تشاءه من أمر يكون يا من إذا أراد شيئا إنما يقول له كن فيقول اللهم إنا نسألك أن تستجيب لنا دعاءنا وأن تجري على ألسنتنا ما تحبه لنا ويأسك الله سبحانه وتعالى If our rizq is in the heavens, bring it down If it's in the earth, then bring it up If it's far, then bring it near If it's small, then make it a lot If it's absent, if it's non-existent, then make it exist If it's difficult, then make it easy If it's still, then make it flow we ask Allah Ta'ala to purify our rizq and increase it. We ask Allah Ta'ala for our parents enter them into Jannatul Firdaus without hisab. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala for all those parents not Muslim, may Allah guide them into Islam. And for whose children are not Muslim, may Allah guide them into Islam. We ask Allah for our children that they make loving men and hate kufr. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to let us live and die on the sunnah and jama'ah. Let us live and die upon pleasing him and bringing happiness into the heart of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ya Mujib, we ask Allah Ta'ala to make it run on our tongues the dua that he wants for us. Make run on our tongue 
the destiny that he has already written for us so that we may be mujahid dawah we ask allah ta'ala to always keep us in his good good standing with him and i ask allah ta'ala to give us taslim and submission to his will we ask allah ta'ala to let us live and die on the sunnah and jama'ah and make none more beloved to us than his most beloved sayd al kawnain sayyidna muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillah